comes from the 14th chapter of the Gospel according to John. It's just a little bit before Jesus dies in this Gospel, before the Passion. In his final words in the upper room, to be frank, it's sort of a babbling sermon. No one really likes it very much. It goes this way and that, and repeats himself a lot. And he kind of lands with this. He says, I've said these things to you while I'm still with you. But the Advocate, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, will teach you everything and remind you of all that I have said to you. Peace I leave with you. My peace I give to you. I do not give to you as the world gives. Do not let your hearts be troubled, and do not let them be afraid. Lord, may your peace fill our hearts this day as we go to your word, we hear from our world, and remember that you are with us always. Amen. Peace I leave with you. My peace I give to you. I do not give to you as the world gives. Do not let your hearts be troubled and do not be afraid. Contrast that with this song that you might know. There was a turtle and his name was Bert. And Bert the turtle was very alert. When danger threatened him, he never got hurt. He knew just what to do. You duck and cover. He did what we us all learned to do, the song says. And you, and you, and you, and you, you duck and cover. I imagine I'll have more people singing with me at second service. <laughs> I imagine this thing. I do not give to you as the world gives, Jesus said. Now, Bertha Turtle is among the sort of more humorous ways that the world tries to give us a sense of peace. But just as Bert Shell would have done absolutely nothing to be a match for ra nuclear radioactivity, so is our false sense of peace any match for the growing inequalities and struggles we face. Certainly our current political battle is focused on walls, but we know better than to think that the walls are the solution to our problems or even the root to them. This first became clear to me in seminary in the first pastoral care class that you're asked to take. And I was excited because I thought I was going to learn all these sort of hands-on things. You know, this is how you pray with someone when you're in the hospital. Okay, here's, here's a guidebook. Or here's how you do a funeral, A, B, C, and D. Boom. Really looking forward to getting that stuff down. But that's not what happens. Class number one is a different starting point. It's not about how you take care of the other on the other side of your cognitive wall but how you take care of yourself. Pastor is person. Peace I leave with you. My peace I give you. See, the thing was, I and many of us kind of look for peace out there, right? It's something that if we can just find the right program or sleep, we can just replicate it and we can just do it ourselves, and that's how we'll make peace. But peace is an inherently inward-focused, outward-poured phenomenon. Peace is inward-focused and outward-poured. In that class, we learned to search for our emotional triggers, to examine our family system history, 
to explore what in the world it was that helped make us feel distressed or anxious. Because if you or I are feeling unease and distressed, those emotions get poured out on those that are closest to us and others in the system, and they're passed on, and that anxiety spreads, making those systems more anxious, which is a form of war. It's emotional war at first, but unchecked, unregulated, unmanaged, it's a cauldron for these higher levels of conflict to boil up and burst. doesn't matter whether it's your family or the church or your workplace. So we're talking about the peace that Jesus said he gave us. He said, I'm going to send you this advocate. You're going to have this peace. David Lowe, the president of seminary in Philadelphia, suggested the peace Jesus offers is more than just the absence of something negative. Indeed, I think it has its own presence and gravity. When someone reports feeling at peace, for instance, he or she is reporting more than just an absence of conflict, but instead testifies to a sense of wholeness, shalom, like we talked about last week, even rightness in one's very own being. It's a sense of harmony with those persons and things around us. Peace connotates a sense of contentment and even more fulfillment. A sense that in this moment, one is basking in God's pleasure. Ever thought of peace like that? Basking in God's pleasure? Do not let your hearts be troubled. Do not be afraid. For Christians, this answer seems too simple. The peace of Christ be with you. We just say those words and we've got it, right? Boom, done. I mean, scripture is littered with all these references to peace, and we've read them before. Isaiah suggests, you keep them in perfect peace whose mind is stayed on you because they trust in you. Thirty-four Psalm tells us to turn away from evil and do good, seek peace and go after it. Sounds easy enough. But as the Apostle Paul pointed out in the letter to the Philippians, for our faith, peace is supposed to be found in the sort of deep awareness of Jesus that goes beyond just knowing it or just having read it in a book. In his closing exhortation to Philippians, Paul says, the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. As a seminarian, I grew fascinated by that phrase, in Christ Jesus, in Christo Yesu. It's used seven times in the letter to the Philippians. The letter to the Philippians is only four chapters. What is this in Christ Jesus-ness that he talks about? If you talk to other religions and you talk about being in a person, they're going to think you're crazy. Matter of fact, the Romans thought a lot of this Christian language was pretty crazy. That they took people's bodies and broke it on a table. That they poured out people's blood. These Christians must be nuts. But we know that when we are in Christ, there is peace. I think one of the most beautiful quirks about the Christian faith is that we claim to trust a person. 
and that we can get peace from a person who is dead, but is somehow still alive. This isn't an ordinary person. We think he lives beyond that time, but there's sort of a recognition in our faith that we as humans love to anthropomorphize everything. Have you ever seen a Disney movie and you looked at the fish and realized that maybe in real life the fish's eyes are supposed to be over here? Because in every, every good cartoonist knows that if you want humans to enjoy your animals, you put their eyes up front because they look more human. Hopefully you've spent a few days of your lives looking up to the clouds and populating faces, sad, grumpy, happy, kittens and all sorts of things. It's what we do as humans. So the beauty of our faith is that Jesus is God in human terms. One that we can understand and kind of unlocks the potential to make this peace more than just an abstract concept. You all are some of the most well-educated Christians in this country, according to the CAT test, which means that we have the eternal struggle of taking this peace from here to here. Somehow making the crucified Jesus not just head, but heart. Again, heart is one of those metaphors that, that doesn't make sense, right? We know that our heart can't think. We know that our heart doesn't have neurons, it doesn't process any information in a major way. And yet, when you put your hand on your heart, which you're welcome to do if you want to, you know that there's something there that's different if you just said, yeah, I know, I know about Jesus, versus I know the peace of Jesus. This is why we, along with our evangelical friends, can say that we accept Jesus into our hearts. We can even accept a personal relationship with Jesus, right here at an altar call if we want to. We can sing our love songs to Jesus with abandon because we know that these metaphors can ring literal truth in our feelings and our innermost human beings. Because the reality is no one has ever brought peace using their heads. No one has ever thought peace into the world but there's been many who from the outpouring of their hearts have showed the world Christ because they've poured out love from the one who is their center. When we realize we are enough and made in the image of God, all that other love, all that other justice work is possible. Because justice cannot be our passion unless our center is rooted in the peace of Jesus, the anointed one. These are all simple concepts. They're abstracts. We're trying to, to delve in deeper to our hearts, ones that we try to put on the refrigerator and repeat to ourselves on occasion. But I want you to know that these ideas go beyond just trying to make us better people. As a matter of fact, Stephen Hampton taught me that the peace of Christ needs to be not just something we think about, but something that's within us and something that's not conditional it's something that's necessary for our lives to thrive at all. See, Stephen was a good friend of mine in college. We were both part of the diaconoi. Our college found a slick way to not pay the tour guides. And instead, we got to have this sort of year intentional community life together with a small group and a retreat. It was a, it was a really good experience. I became friends with Stephen, partially because Stephen was brilliant. 
one of the smartest human beings I've ever met. He was in my history philosophy class with me, and every day he would stump the professors. Philosophy professors are usually pretty smart people. Everyone knew that this was one of the brightest minds that evangelicalism had ever seen, which is why they encouraged him to graduate a year early and apply for a philosophy school in Germany known as Göttingen. Free ride to the world's most acclaimed philosophy program. Stephen got in, we cheered him on, we were all very excited about this. Until Stephen jumped in front of a train. See, Stephen was gay. And his whole life, through therapy, through his parents, and especially through his church, he was told that his sexual orientation was a sin. There was no peace in his heart, he told us one time, because he was told that it was, this peace was conditional on him changing who he was. We lost an amazing human being and a leader in the church that day, my friends. I found myself at a small memorial service for him later that year. We sang a song that's a staple for evangelicals that reminded me of why I am still an evangelical in, in a sense. The song goes like this. It says, In the morning when I rise, in the morning when I rise, in the morning when I rise, give me Give me Jesus, give me Jesus, you can have all this world, just give me Jesus. My peers and I gathered together after that memorial service, and we promised each other that we would not make the world have to live that faith much longer. That whatever kind of Christian faith did this to our friend was not a faith at all. We declared unequivocally that the peace of Christ is unfettered by the chains of exclusion and cannot be welded by gatekeepers. It is for all, through the one who is our all. The one whose life, death, and resurrection brings us peace like a river in our souls. I pray that you'll join me in this movement. There will have to be no more Stevens. There will have to be no more anxiety, but that we can find in our heart of hearts the peace that passes understanding in Christ Jesus. Thanks be to God, and amen.